0: Hey, afternoon, everyone. Uh, it's a joy to be with you all today and just to see all the people gathered here makes me just really happy. So thank you all for coming. Um, if you want to stand with me, we'll begin with the call to worship on this day of worship and rest. And just reminded again that a call to worship is not me telling you to worship. It's not me calling you to worship. It's God, through His Word, calling us to worship Him. So, Let's do that this morning from Psalm um, 111. If you'll read the non-bold section, I'll read the bold section. Praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart, in the company of the upright, in the congregation. Great. Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them. Full of splendor and majesty is His work, and His righteousness endures forever. He's caused his wondrous works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and merciful. He provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. The works of his hands are faithful and just. All his precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. He sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is His name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. You'll turn with me to song number two. We'll sing in Christ alone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. sin this morning comes from Hebrews chapter 3, verses 7 through 12. It says this, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said they always go astray in their hearts. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. We see the writer of Hebrews here, quote from Psalm 95, where talking about the hard heart of Israel, that they saw the works that God did, the redemption that He wrought in Egypt, and yet their hearts were hardened and they did not believe. And how tempted are we to, in our sin, callous and harden our own hearts to our sin and to sweep it under the rug and not confess it before the Lord. So one way we can do that, like we do every week, is to confess our sin before the Lord. So if you'll read with me the prayer of confession. Almighty, Almighty, eternal God God and Father, we confess and acknowledge unto you and we have sinned against you. We have failed to fully believe your word nor follow your holy commandments. Remember your goodness and for your name's sake be gracious to us and forgive us our iniquity which is great. Amen. If you'll turn with me to song number five, we'll sing Solid Rock. savior is greater so our assurance of pardon this morning comes from first peter 2 where it says this as you come to him a living stone rejected by men but in the sight of god chosen and precious you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices to god through jesus christ You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Just a good reminder that we don't need a temple or a priest to receive God's forgiveness, that the perfect great high priest has come, has built his spiritual temple made up of living stones, and that that is where forgiveness is found, not in going to a place to offer animals, but to the living God. So may we be assured this morning. Will you pray with me? Dear Lord, we come before you this morning thankful for your mercy and your grace your mercy in withholding the wrath that we rightly deserved and your grace in giving us favor that was not only unmerited but demerited, that we sinned against you in word and in deed, and yet you have given your grace freely in the person and work of your Son, Jesus. We thank you for the Father's plan of redemption for the Son coming, accomplishing that redemption, and the Spirit applying that redemption to believers. We pray that that is where our hope would lie this morning, not in our works, but in the works of another. Um, We ask that you would give us faith this morning um, to believe all that you've said. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. You guys can be seated. Um, And lastly, we'll do a confession of faith. So this is where we publicly come together and confess truths about God's word. And we've done this every week. and. This week, we're going to be looking at question number 54 of the Heidelberg Catechism, and it's really sort of coming at the question of, so now that you've become a Christian, are you meant to just be a solo Christian, to live on your own, to do your own thing? And we know as we've been going through the book of Acts that, no, that's not that's not the answer, that Christ, Yay! by His Spirit, is building His church, is gathering His people to come and worship Him and welcome others in. So. If you'll respond um, with the answer after I read the question. What do we believe concerning the Holy Catholic Church of Christ? I I believe that the Son of God does, by His Spirit and Word, from the beginning of the world till its end, gather, defend, and preserve for Himself, out of the whole of mankind, a community chosen for eternal life, united in true faith, and of that community, I am a living member, and so shall remain forever. Amen. Okay, well if you guys want to turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 6, we'll be looking at verses 1 through 7 this afternoon, and for those of you that haven't been with us, we've been going through the book of Acts, and We've been trying to look at it um, through the lens of what the writer of Acts, Luke, has given us, this lens that he's given us. So it's not just a debate book for mission strategy. It's not just a book for good moral teaching or even merely historical events. But we've tried to look at verse one of Acts and see that this is the Acts of the risen Lord Christ, that upon his ascension, He has sent His Spirit and is building His church. And so we see all that Jesus began to do and teach in the Gospels, and in the book of Acts we've seen all that Christ continues to do and teach from His current session at the right hand of the Father. So there's lots of implication of that, we've been going through that, Um, we've looked at Christ's life, death, resurrection, promised in the Old Testament, fulfilled in His life and death and resurrection. and so. Ultimately, we've seen that Christ is building his church by his spirit. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so I just think it's important to remember that as we look at this passage, because it can be seem very simple, right? As we see today, there's some widows. They have a complaint. They appoint these deacons to serve them. And the church kind of continues to grow. And it would be easy to see this as merely a historical event, something that happened, but it's important to see it through this lens of the acts of the risen Lord Christ. And I think there's a lot of implications for not only the importance of the local church, of the church, but also for these ministries of the table and of the word that we'll look at. So I'll read the passage um, and then we'll pray and then we'll look at the, the text. This is the word of the Lord. Um, chapter six of Acts. Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Polychorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Pyrenees, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for the reading of your word, um, the inspiration of it, the sufficiency of it. We pray that we would see your plan for your church in these ministries of both the table and the word, and that we would see the great role that the church plays in the lives of your people, and that we would be encouraged today that you have given us this gift, and we ask all these things in your son's name, amen. So yeah, like I said, we've been going through this book of Acts, we've been trying to see how Christ is building his church, poured out his spirit, and how this is continuing. And so, like we read in our assurance of faith that Christ is building his church, but it's not a physical building. It is a spiritual building. It is made up of living stones. And so you might ask the question, how is this building built? Is it from political policies, social policies? Is it through cultural transformation? We know we've seen Peter do this. It's through the proclamation of the gospel. It's through the good news of what Christ has done for sinners. And so we can say with confidence that this is how God builds his church, through the preaching of the word of God, empowered by the spirit of God. And so this is good news for us. But as we've seen in the book of Acts, that there's been conflict. This message has not just gone um, freely. There's been conflict from without, right? The religious leaders of the day have not liked this proclamation of the gospel. And there's even been conflict within. You remember Ananias and Sapphira. And now we have these... The complaint of these widows. And so there's these external and internal conflicts that wage war against the church. And the question we could ask is, how is the church going to respond, right? How will they respond to this? Will they crumble under the weight? Will the church be no more? This is the early days of the church. We're 2,000 years removed from this, so it might be hard to ask the question, what does this passage in Acts 6 have to do with me, you know? What do I have to do with this? But I think this has Big big implications because the church of Christ is not an add-on to God's plan. It's not a plan B, if you will. It is the fulfillment and purpose of God to build his church. We see this promised in the Old Testament and come to climactic fulfillment in the New. And so it's important to remember that this church that is coming to birth in Acts is not the invention of men. It's not something that they... Conjured up and kind of whipped together. This is by the plan and purpose of God. So, and if we read in Acts 20, this is, it says, Christ died for his church. He spilled his blood for his church. And that this is the ordained means that God has instituted to not just gather his people, but to grow them. And so, I think this has implications because we today face these external and internal threats. And so, if we don't understand how the church is structured or why it's important, we will crumble. So that's what we'll be looking at today. So we'll be looking at a couple things. I'll get to that in a little bit, but hopefully by the end we'll see why this is so important for us today and not just um, for those people back then. So if you look at verse 1, it says that the number was increasing. So I think the last number we looked at was about three to 5,000. Um, disciples were added, but that was just the men. So there's a chance that this number could have been as big as 20,000. Um, that might be generous, but th- there's a lot of people here. And there's this complaint that arises that these widows are not receiving the distribution that they're supposed to. And so there's these two groups. They were both Jewish. There was the Hebrew Jews and the Hellenistic Jewish widows. And the Hellenistic Jewish Judah- sorry, the Hellenistic widows were more in the Greek culture of the day. They were not sort of the Hebrew of Hebrews. And so they were being neglected in this daily distribution. And so in that day, there was not as much welfare and things that we have today to help out those in need. And so the church sort of filled this role in a lot of ways. And there was some partiality going on, some um, neglect of the Hellenistic Jews. And so there was this complaint that rose up, and it's really a practical complaint at the end of the day, right? It's not doctrinal. I mean, it's connected to that, but ultimately, it's a practical need, and I think that this body was very fragile. Think of 20,000 people, maybe, with 12 apostles, and there's a complaint, and this could have been the end of, of the early church if this was not resolved. This was a major issue, and so it's important to understand how the apostles deal with this. And so if you look at verse 2, it, it says the 12 apostles summon the whole body, all the disciples, the whole church. And we see that they're not going to compromise the word, the proclamation of the word to do this. And we see them do three things in verses 3 through 6. We see them select these men. We see them. We see the whole church agree on these men. And we see them ultimately ordained in verse 6. We see them lay their hands on them. So the question arises, what is this office? Who, what is this role that these people are being appointed to, ordained to? And as we see in the apostolic um, commentary on this, really, this is the office of deacon. This is the role of the diaconate, or we'll call that the ministry of the table. And I'm getting that from verse 2, where if you look at your text, it says, We will not give up the preaching of the word of God to serve tables. That Greek word there is diakaneo, to serve, to minister, to deacon, if you will. So we can call this the ministry of the table. And you might ask, okay, Kendall, what is this and why is it important? It would have been easy for someone in that day to see the preaching of the apostles, to see their spiritual ministry, and to see this complaint rise up. And if they did nothing about it, it would be easy to say, you don't really care about us. You are Gnostic, meaning you only care about the spiritual. You don't care about the body. Um, But we know as Christians that we are not just spiritual beings. We are physical beings. God created our bodies. He has redeemed them, we will one day be resurrected, and so this is important for the church to respond to this, and that's what this office of deacon is meant to um, minister to, is the minister of the physical, right, the, to physically nourish the people, and honestly, this office has fallen on hard times, I think not only in the world, but also especially in our country, You get kind of two extremes, right? You get the people that see deacons as maybe a glorified janitor, if you will, right? They're good at serving, and so we'll give them this title. Or on the other end, you have churches that are functionally run by deacon boards and almost elevated above the elders. And so I was just talking to a brother of the day that grew up in a church like that. So we have these kind of two extremes, but I think it's important to see that this office is not a glorified janitor. It's a very much a spiritual office. And we see that in verses three through five. It says, these men were full of the Spirit and of wisdom. And later we see that they are full of faith. And in First Timothy three we see Paul kind of go through these qualifications of what a deacon is. It says they must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. So this is not just physical, but there's also a doctrinal element to it, that these people must know doctrine and be able to hold the mystery of the faith with a clean conscience. And I like how um, the Book of Church Order actually puts this definition. I thought this was helpful for me. It says, The role of the deacon is to visit and comfort the distressed, to encourage the congregation, and to anticipate the needs of the people. And I like that first definition, to visit and comfort the the distressed, and I think this really changes how we see pastoral ministry, because in a sense, a lot of these things are what we associate with pastoral ministry. Not that pastors should be in their ivory towers of theology and not visit the peoples, but um, I think this is also a burden that the deacons bear in a in an important way. And so, it would be easy for. Um, a small church or even a large church to focus so much on this um, pragmatic, practical needs and to forget the proclamation of the word. And so we see ultimately that the deacon is to serve the direct needs of the church, but this is ultimately protecting and pointing to the ministry of the word. So we've looked at the ministry of the table to the diaconate, and now we'll look at the ministry of the word or the elder or pastor. So if the deacon is to provide the physical nourishment for God's people, the elder or pastor is to provide the spiritual nourishment for God's people or feed the people Christ and his word, if you will. And so just a side note, you'll notice that the word elder is not used in this text. I'm sort of um, seeing what the apostles are doing here as a proto-eldership or... um, the laying of the groundwork of what the elders will later do. So um, just a side note there. But we see in verse four that they are going to be devoted to the ministry of the word and of prayer. And so the question we have to ask is what is a pastor? What is this shepherd of God's flock? And ultimately we cannot terminate on the earthly pastor or shepherd, but on the heavenly one who is Christ. And so Um, He is the great shepherd of God's people. In John 10, he says he is the good shepherd of God's people. And so he has not gone into heaven and left his people with nothing. He has appointed under shepherds. If you read Ephesians 4, it says that when he ascended, he gave gifts among men. And one of these is the role of um, teacher or shepherd. And so we see that a pastor is not a motivational speaker or... um, someone to be your personal ethics coach or something like this, that the pastor is a shepherd that leads God's people to the green pastures of the gospel of Christ. And this is ordinarily done through the ordinary means of grace, through the word preached, through prayer, through baptism, through the Lord's Supper. And so we see that this is what the pastor is to do, is to lead his people to the green pastures of the gospel of Christ. And like we said before, this is ultimately to grow and mature believers and call others in. And this is why what we do on Sunday is important. This is why uh, maybe this is the second worship service for some of you today, that we've come to worship God to be grown in our faith by the proclamation of the word and the reading of scripture and all these things. And so we see this connected to the commission that Christ gave his apostles. What did he tell them to do? To go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded. So we see this connection of the role of the pastor in the church, very much connected to this great commission to go to the ends of the earth. And so we see that these two offices are important to what God does, and it's not um, it's not an add-on, like I was saying. And this role of deacon and this role of pastor is the means that God has ordained to protect his church, both from physical um, needs and from uh, spiritual needs to protect and grow his church. And so ultimately we see that this leads to the word increasing. And so we could say this, that the office of deacon is not to detract or distract from the ministry of the word. It actually protects and increases the ministry of the word, and we see that in verse seven it says, "The word of God continued to increase, and the disciples multiplied." So we see the the church strengthened, and we see unbelievers brought in. So hopefully we can see how this is applicable. But before we step away, let's look at a couple things and try to apply what we've uh, what we've seen here, and to try to contemplate the truths that we've seen. So, three things. First, the dignity of the body. The dignity of the body. First, that God cares for our bodies, right? It would have been easy for the apostles to say, "Stop complaining. We're feeding you spiritual food," right? "Man shall not live by bread alone." It would have been easy for them to mock this complaint, but we don't see them do that. We see them care for their body because they know that God has created their body. He sustains their body. And even though we are stained by sin, we see Christ come to redeem our bodies. The incarnation itself is proof of this that God did not just stay a spirit, but he put on flesh and walked among us. And the resurrection is even more so a confirmation of this that Christ did not stay dead, but was risen to new life, to resurrection life, if you will. And so, this is what we look forward to, ultimately, in the new heavens and the new earth. So, as the church and as the body of Christ, we must not neglect the physical needs of God's people. And I think that's important to remember. So, the dignity of the body. But this office of deacon and this ministry of the table actually points to the importance and the prominence of the ministry of the word. And that leads us to our second second point, the primacy of of the ministry of the Word. The primacy of the ministry of the Word. That this is how Christ is going to build His church. What do we say? You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And that by the Spirit and the Word, we read that in our confession of faith this morning, that God is using these means of the Word of the Gospel preached to grow and strengthen His people and to call Unbelievers into the fold of God. And this is confirmed in Romans 10, where it says, Faith comes by hearing. And some of you are probably familiar with the famous saying, You know, preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. And (laughs) we can say that whole denominations have really gone astray by adopting this thinking, right? We don't actually need to say anything about Christ, what he's done, that you're a sinner we kind of get away from that and we just focus on the needs of people and the needs of the body but we see here the the uh, emphasis of the apostles is this ministry of the word and that this is um, this is the most important thing and so finally we'll see the third point is the glory of Christ's church the glory of christ church so we've seen the dignity of the body the primacy of the ministry of the Word, and the glory of Christ's church. And I I know some people in town, they said, I love Jesus, but I don't go to church, right? I don't need the church. I'm just kind of going to live my Christian life how I want. It's not an important part of my walk. I can still meet with the Lord in my quiet time. Or in Utah, there was people that would go up into the mountains and they would get closer to God in the mountains and they would... Um, neglect this body of Christ. But I think we can see that the whole story of the Bible, both Old and New Testament, is God saving his people through the work of the church. That it's not plan B. It's not a side project or an add-on. It is the very climax and fulfillment of God's saving purposes. And we see this sort of in Adam, ironically enough, in um, Genesis 1. What What was Adam given? He was given a mandate to fill the earth with image-bearing sons of God, to subdue subdue the earth, and he failed. We see this in Genesis 3, but we see God give this promise that through the serpent-crushing seed of the woman, one would come and save God's people. And so we see this promised in the Old Testament, foreshadowed in the temple and the sacrifices and the high priest's, So, what does Christ come to do in his life, death, and his resurrection as the great high priest, as the pure sacrifice? He has come to fill the earth with image bearing sons of God. And so, it's amazing to see how this work that Adam failed to do is fulfilled in Christ. That Adam failed to enter God's rest, but Christ has entered God's rest for us. And that is what we do when we come together as God's church, and that is why we go to the nations to see people come to know the Lord. And I was just reminded of Revelation 21 where we see this, this cosmic picture of Christ's church as this bride of Christ. And Revelation 21 says this, And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God the former things have passed away we can take great comfort knowing that god has given us the gift of his church and his ministry of the table and of the word and we can press into those things and be encouraged that god has not left us to our own devices to our own personal devotion but he has given us this church as a gift so let's pray this morning dear lord we come before you um humbled by your Word. In so many ways we, um, we harden our hearts, we fall short of this. In so many ways we neglect your good gifts, your means of grace. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us to see the importance um, not only of the body, but ultimately of the Word, of the gospel of Christ, that he has come to save sinners like us, that he has um, been born under the law to redeem those who were under the law, that we might be adopted as children of God. Would we see the work of Christ from heaven, building His church by His Spirit, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Help us to trust in that hope this morning, and we look to the new heavens and the new earth new earth in which righteousness dwells. We pray these things in your Son's name. Amen. If you guys want to stand with me, we'll finish by singing... Um, Psalm 23. I believe it's song number 7 on your list. Psalm 23. And we'll be singing that to the tune of Amazing Grace. So just think, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound.
1: All my life shall surely follow me, and in God's house forevermore,
0: my dwelling place shall be. If you'll sing with me, the doxology. Praise,
1: Praise God, God from, from whom all. Blessings flow, praise him, all creatures, hear.
0: from Ephesians 2. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ Himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord, In Him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Grace and peace as you (laughs) go. Um, before you guys go, just to kind of that concludes the service. Just a couple um, announcements. You guys can be seated if you want. Um, I will pass out again if anybody doesn't have this. We might have our copy of this already, but there's some more information on the back. Next week, we'll be beginning the core group meetings. it will be at our house, the Oliver's. If you need our location, just let me know. Um, We'll be at our house at 5.30. Dinner will be provided. Um, Just a reminder, if you want to get a babysitter, Uh, Not required, but could be helpful. Um, So yeah, the September 20th, we'll be meeting at our house. uh, And we'll just be going through the introductory document um, for this kind of vision that we're looking at. So it's going through the mission statement, some of the values. We'll be going through about an hour of material. And then um, we'll have time for questions and answers and things like that. And then secondly, this was our last Sunday At Delta, And so in this sort of interim time before, um, Lord willing, constituting as a church, we've set up this board of um, this accountability board. So if you flip over to the back, you'll see sort of a brief description of the role of this board. And sadly, I I printed this before I received an answer from Seth, but Seth is also on this. So um, most of you have his contact, but if you need that, his email or his phone, let me know. So the function of this board will be to hold me accountable, not only in life, but in doctrine and things like that, and until we become formally a church. And so there's five guys, sorry about that, set but so we have, um, and many of them are here today. Um, so I just wanted to briefly introduce, this is Pastor Brian Goke of um, Faith Lutheran in Bloomington. His information's there, and you guys can meet him at the cookout after. Jason Jordan um, from Delta. We have uh, Daryl Musson in the back there, from, um, previously from Faith Bible, and uh, Seth Stark um, from All Souls and Champaign. And then sort of from Utah, our long-distance member is uh, Darren Caldwell from the newly planted Covenant Grace Church, which we prayed for last week, that planted last week. So, again, um, email these men, call them if you have any questions or concerns um, about anything, really. So, just wanted to make that public so you guys know what's happening moving forward. Um, Yeah, if anybody has any questions about that or someone can pray for us. Okay, Jason, would you mind praying for us this morning? Yeah. Um, Father God, you are holy.
1: We ask for your help in planting this church. We pray for Kendall and his family. We pray for grace and mercy on their life.
0: We pray for all the people that are going to be part of this core team that you would strengthen them, that you would give them a vision for this church. God, I thank you for the men that are here today, the elders from Delta, and also the people in the accountability team, especially Pastor Brian from
1: Bloomington. And you pray that you, we pray that you would help all of us um, to walk in your word and to walk in a way
0: that is worthy of your high calling. In the name of Christ Jesus, we pray. Amen. amen. Thank you.